Welcome to the Provider Payment Mechanisms, or PPM, podcast. The who, what, and how of paying for health services as part of Universal Health Coverage, or UHC. I'm your host, Kirby Kreider, and this mini-series was created by the Joint Learning Network for Universal Health Coverage, or JLN, which is an innovative, country-driven network of practitioners and policymakers from around the globe who co-develop knowledge products that help bridge the gap between theory and practice to extend healthcare coverage to more than 3 billion people. In this series, we'll draw on the experience and expertise of technical experts and implementers from around the world to learn what they've done to help increase access to and quality of health services. The JLN is based on the understanding that when it comes to increasing access to health services for all, everyone has something to share and everyone has something to learn. Take a listen to this clip from a short video on what the JLN is and how it operates. Over 100 million people are driven into poverty each year due to significant out-of-pocket healthcare costs. Policymakers and practitioners in developing countries are working on achieving universal health coverage, or UHC, as a way to address these problems. But designing and implementing UHC reforms is an extremely challenging task, often complicated by politics and the complexities of adapting systems to a local context. Many countries on this journey have innovated in multiple ways to address challenges and are looking for even more innovative ideas. That's where the Joint Learning Network for Universal Health Coverage, the JLN, comes in. The JLN facilitates collaborative learning around technical areas of focus that are prioritized by countries within the JLN. These are things like primary health care, information technology, efficiency, and priority setting. The technical area that this series will focus on is provider payment mechanisms, or PPMs. PPMs are focused on the way we pay for health services and how that relates to provider incentives, efficiency, and cost management. All of this helps countries improve the quality of the care that they deliver. Provider payment is just one part of strategic health purchasing. Strategic purchasing is a way to ensure limited resources are used wisely to make progress towards UHC. Purchasers are any agency who buys health services on behalf of a population. They can be, for example, ministries of health or health insurance agencies. Purchasers are strategic when they're making deliberate evidence-based decisions to allocate funds based on information about providers and population and takes into account the services that are included, the mechanisms through which providers are paid, and of course, the cost of services being delivered. Strategic purchasing is trying to do a few things, increase equity in the way that resources are distributed in a healthcare system, increase efficiency, manage the growth of spending, and promote quality in health service delivery. The three episodes after this one will tell you all about provider payment mechanisms, including how policymakers and technical experts determine what types of care should be covered by providers and how much it will cost to provide this care on a population level. But for now, let's take a step back and talk about one overarching critical element of the JLN, the joint learning model itself. We'll listen to real people who work in countries across the globe Describe how they collaborate, co-create, and truly multiply one another's knowledge. They are real role models of country-driven, country-led learning, and in this episode, we'll do our best to learn from them and share it with you. So let's do it. Join us as we head to Kenya, where we'll meet Isabel Mina, who describes Kenya's continued journey towards UHC 
and why her and her colleagues are focusing on provider payment mechanisms in her country. I would say the UHC journey in Kenya has been long, uh, but recently we had um, our political leadership, especially uh, our president, announcing as one of the big agenda for for the country. I would say that kind of political leadership was a key moment for the country, for the Ministry of Health, for the people in the technical arm of the government, and also for Kenyans uh, at large. At the end of the day, we want Kenyans to be happy because they have received quality services. We also want providers on the other end to be motivated to offer Kenyans the best uh, services uh, there is in the country. We also want the insurers, on on the other hand, uh, to feel comfortable when they are dealing with the providers. eh? So the end result is that uh, the population of Kenya will have the best services. We are piloting UHC in four counties. And the lessons from these four pilot counties will inform the full scale up. Well, we've implemented now in about four months or so. By the end of this year, we'll be hopefully we'll be scaling up. And therefore, right now we are getting ready with costing of our services, uh, defining a unified benefit package uh, for Kenyans, and also defining the best payment mechanisms uh, for the country so that at scale up, we'll roll the best ever. UHT for, uh, for the world. UHT is not a function or an agenda for the ministries of health only. It's an agenda for all sectors. Education is involved, uh, agriculture, you talk of water, we want safe water. Everyone is involved uh, in the UHT journey. So engagement, engagement, and collaboration with everyone. Isabel really gets to the core of why this joint learning is so important, especially for countries working towards something as monumental as universal health coverage. People working towards UHC are working towards better health and more happiness for the people in their countries. And achieving this takes time. It requires innovative thinking, complex problem solving, and collaboration with people working across sectors and levels of government. The JLN gives implementers an opportunity to share what they're working on, discuss the problems they're trying to solve, and receive feedback or ideas from their peers about how these strategies can be improved. Let's continue across the globe to Argentina, where we'll hear Umberto Silva say a bit more about what the JLN enables countries to do. I recommend to take into account the experiences of other countries and adjust those experiences to your context, um, but start easy to be on control of the process. These days, um, health systems are in a situation when information is available, and the challenge is the use of that information and to have a strategy on how to use it for monitoring, for uh, implementing a learning process um, is um, a challenge. And but we have the possibility of having information that we never had before. So we have to take advantage of that. Data is available. To digitalize uh, data is possible for many countries. If that data is available, we have to identify the methods to, to learn from that information for policymaking. As you heard from Umberto, a core element of the JLN is implementer-to-implementer knowledge exchange, drawing on a broad pool of experts who work in different countries and different contexts. 
But it's not just about copying an approach used in another country. It's going deeper and really listening to people and experiences from that country, taking their lessons learned, and applying them to your own context. You might call this contextualization or adaptation. This has tremendous value to the country who's implementing ideas or strategies they've learned from others, but the impact can be magnified when countries then share their adaptation experiences back with the global JLN community. As you'll hear in later episodes, countries can refer to JLN toolkits that describe the technical process for implementing something like a costing exercise. And as they review the guidance, they can turn to real experts who've already been through this process to ask for clarification and bounce ideas off of them. As more and more implementers contribute to this body of global knowledge, core elements of what works well and what doesn't begin to emerge. Countries can reflect together on how to mitigate challenges going forward and can coach other countries who might not yet have gone through these processes about what they should avoid or certain prerequisites that they should have in place. This concept of adapting and sharing back works well at the global level, but can also work within countries. Let's travel now to Nigeria, where we'll hear from Shamsuddin Sayad about how joint learning can be applied both globally and sub-nationally within a country. When I started um, GLN in 2015, I gradually became really, really more interested in learning. And at a point, I we communicate greatly with people from other countries, in particular our neighboring countries, Ghana. Um, we always call or send an email to ask, how do you do this? How should we do this? What are the challenges? You know, so we get that input. And globally from other countries too, we still um, network and communicate regarding um, how they do things and how we think um, things should be done. And then we exchange ideas. It has greatly improved how we think of particularly provider payment, the ideas and the, we got the knowledge we gained from participation greatly influenced how we um, developed the new um, service package. We are doing fee-for-service now as well as capitation. We also, for the current reform, we are doing global payment and decentralized facility financing. We, we started doing this based on learnings, actually, great learnings we got actually from JLN. And I think we've also contributed based on um, discussion. We've greatly contributed on how a fragmented system as uh, the case in, in Nigeria brings stakeholders together and um, tries to bring payment systems and harmonize payment systems and work with stakeholders to avoid fragmentation. We really appreciate the opportunity given to Nigeria by being a member um, of the GLN. First, because um, the learning we've, we are getting actually from the JLN actually has improved capacity because we just don't learn from other countries. We try to also go down and step step down the training. For instance, the subnational JLN, we step down some of the training, some of the learnings we got, and we can go and say, hey, this is what we're doing, but this is what other countries are, are doing. We also understand that so other countries have done this and they have not succeeded. So then it's an opportunity for us not to fall in the same trap. There is no better for uh, for learning, I think, as far as I, I know, than the GLN, which has given me the advantage and the opportunity to really advise um, senior stakeholders who are in the position to make decisions in the country. 
Shamsuddin gets us to the real power of joint learning. It connects people working in different countries to solve common challenges in achieving UHC, faced by people all over the world. Shamsuddin working in Nigeria is able to connect directly with people working in a similar role in nearby countries like Ghana and contextualize their lessons learned into his own country's efforts. In fact, this model was seen as so valuable by members of the Nigerian government that a subnational JLN was launched inside Nigeria to support learning between states to address some of the major healthcare access and quality challenges that practitioners are facing in country. Before we close out the episode, I'd like to take you on one more virtual journey back to the United States. I'm Cheryl Cashin. I'm a managing director on the health portfolio at Results for Development, R4D. And I'm also very fortunate to have been one of the original technical facilitators for the JLN Provider Payment Technical Initiative all the way back since 2011. Cheryl has been working with the Joint Learning Network since the beginning. When we spoke, she highlighted the fact that the Joint Learning Network and the subjects that it focuses on come from country demand. We hope that's a point you'll take home from this episode, that country demand and country needs come first, and that's what drives all of this work. Here's Cheryl describing the beginning of the Provider Payment Mechanism Technical Initiative within the Joint Learning Network. The Provider Payment Technical Initiative was one of the original activities of the JLN, the Joint Learning Network. The network managers and the funders asked the countries what were the most pressing technical challenges that they had on their journeys to universal health coverage. And one of the four priorities that they identified was finding the best ways to pay health providers strategically. So that initiative was started um, to bring the countries together and learn from each other how, how to do this better. The request for provider payment in general came from the countries, so we worked with them to figure out what within provider payment did they need to really problem solve around. And they all said, you know, we look out in the world and we see a lot of resources that tell us what to do. And these kind of, you know, guidance and advice about what policies to implement. But there's no guidance on how to do it. And so they said, you know, what, who better to learn from how to do something than from other countries who have been there before or are currently facing the same challenges we are. So that idea of learning from peer countries who are facing similar challenges was really born out of the demand of the countries. I hope at this point you're sold that the joint learning model works really well and is a good way of doing development work, especially with a subject as complex as universal health coverage. So you might be wondering, how could you implement it in your programming? We took advantage of Cheryl's time to ask her the question, what are the key notable aspects of joint learning that really make it work? I think there are three critical elements that we've learned over the years to make joint learning effective. The first one is respect and that every country comes together, every country has something to share and every country has something to learn. The second feature that I, I think I've really learned to be so valuable in this process is the new knowledge co-creation. So when countries come together and they share their challenges, they share their experience, if you stop there, that's nice, but nothing new has been created. And so I think we've learned how to bring the countries together to share their experience, but then to go the next step and synthesize it, draw lessons, and then translate that into some practical tools and knowledge products, other things that other countries can adapt and use. And that's where I think the third piece is important, and that's the role of facilitation. And I think having that facilitator role as a neutral kind of guiding um, participant to let the countries just freely share. And it's the role of the facilitator to help to frame the discussion so that it leads to this new knowledge. I think those three elements have been what I've really 
reflected on as being something very special about joint learning. Cheryl called out three notable aspects of joint learning here, and I want to just highlight them. First, respect. Every country, no matter who they are, where they are in their journey towards universal health coverage, has something to offer. The second aspect she noted was co-creation and co-developing new products, and not just having it be about a process, but also about creating something that can be shared to an even broader group outside of just the people that were in the room. And Cheryl also talked about a third concept, facilitation. Someone playing the role of a non-judgmental party who is summarizing, paraphrasing, working with what's happening in the room and driving the conversation forward. So we have these three notable aspects of joint learning, but we also wanted to dig a little deeper and ask Cheryl, what are some global lessons learned about doing joint learning and doing it effectively? For real joint learning to happen, it requires a safe space. Countries need to know they can come together and they can share openly sensitive information, challenges, and nothing will be repeated outside of that room or shared publicly without their permission. And that, I think, really lets us get down to the realities on the ground. And the, that's where the real learning happens, where you're able to share not just the technical how-to and the technical experience, but also the political challenges, how to engage certain stakeholders, what strategies have worked there, some of the workarounds that would never show up in a journal article or a textbook. So I think that safe space is really something that we've found to be important. The second lesson that I've drawn in all of this is that the long-term nature of the engagement really adds to the deepening and the, and the improvement of the quality of the learning experience. The kinds of policy change and the, the UHC journeys, they are very long-term commitments. And so for the countries to be able to walk together over time through that journey and learn, it gives them so much more opportunity to understand what is a real realistic time horizon for some of these changes to actually happen. Um, it lets them go together and move to the next level of complexity and to continue to, to learn from each other as implementation also deepens. The final lesson I think that we'd like to, to contribute, I think, from our, our experience, and maybe it's a global lesson, is we found that it's both the process and the product that matter on, on this approach. So what we've tried to do in this initiative is to create a good process where the countries can get in-time support for the challenges that are on their desk at that moment from their peer countries. So that process of sharing experience has a direct benefit at that moment in time. But then all of that experience is brought together in some product. It leaves something for other countries to benefit from, to adapt and, and to benefit from, but it also gives some concrete result that the countries get out of their participation. And they have contributed something. And in the process of building up that product, they also learn more even about their own experiences as they have to, to reflect on them more deeply. I hope you found those lessons valuable and useful as you think about applying joint learning to your work or participating in any sort of joint learning initiative. To close out, I wanted to bring Cheryl back for one more reflection on the journey of the Joint Learning Network from back in 2011 up until now. This journey has really gotten to a point now where the, the countries are really leading the, the whole way that the initiative is organized, facilitated, the learning agenda, how this learning is packaged and shared. And I, I think that's something that we're really all, all very, very proud of. And we're learning how that, that journey will continue in their hands. With the stories you've heard from practitioners across the globe and Cheryl's global lessons learned, we're going to close this initial episode on joint learning. We hope you'll join us for the next few episodes, which will cover provider payment mechanisms in more depth. We'll cover costing of health services. 
and we'll look at developing health benefits packages and health benefits policy within countries. We hope this podcast mini-series becomes part of your joint learning, and as you listen to it, you can take experiences from countries and contextualize them to your own work. I hope you'll follow us. I hope you'll subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We'll like us, review us, and give us some feedback. And we're really glad you're on board as a listener. Talk to you next time.